0: Brittany, Mike, check. Yeah. Okay. Hey, guys. Thank you, mate. That's exactly exactly what I needed. Um, so for those of you who haven't met me, my name's Beach and I'm married to Arabella. Uh, and we have a little baby boy called Monty, who you might have seen me bobbing around during worship. And he's Basically, unbelievably cute. And I obviously know that I'm biased, but I'm pretty sure actually he's objectively cute as well. So maybe you can make a judgment for yourself on that. Um, so I'm really grateful to be cracking on with this series about Romans 8, um, resi- um, resilient discipleship. And as we know, Romans 8 is a bit of a sort of hall of fame passage. It basically does the entire Bible's work in a, in a chapter. So. Obviously, it's a big undertaking, and then when I think about resilient discipleship, I think, gosh, resilience. Like, most of the time, I don't know if I feel that resilient. I don't know if I am that resilient. In fact, most of the time, my resilience feels a little bit like this video. Can anyone relate to that? You know, you're doing great with God. You're going so good for about five seconds, you know, charging through the fields, and then, boop, you're back in the ravine again. I think we can all relate, can't we? Now, I've been reading this book, um, which is called Gentle and Noly, and it's a massive recommend. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, it, it's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. But in his intro, it, I think he just gets it spot on where he says, this book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those, who, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, "How oh, could I mess up that bad again?" It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin for those of us who know that God loves us but suspect that deeply that suspect we have deeply disappointed him in some way, who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors mild resentment I mean I don't know if anyone feels that way but I think sneakily we let those we let those little lies kind of creep into our mind don't we and so then if we feel like we're always getting stuff wrong how are we then qualified to be resilient disciples I'm just going to read the next bit of this which is about Matthew um, 11 verse 28 and in Matthew 11 verse 28 it says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest so he's talking about that here and he says, Matthew 11 tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. All who labor and are heavy laden. So you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. So whether you are actively working hard to crow by your life into smoothness, which is the labor, or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside your control, heavy laden, Jesus Christ's desire is that you find rest. Isn't that a relief? (laughs) So it's actually our weakness that qualifies us. It's the sheer fact that we can't be righteous in our own strength, that we can be righteous in his strength. The reality is, if we were perfect... We wouldn't need Jesus, we wouldn't need relationship, and all of this would be a bit pointless, really. But fortunately, Will and Kristen have kicked us off really well over the past two weeks, and obviously before that. Talking about Romans 6 and 7, and really rooting our identity, and what that looks like. Kristen last week said, there is no amount of rule following that will make you closer to God. So we live in total freedom, and in my mind, that's the best news that that ever existed. I hope a few of you agree with that. Nope, no one? (laughs) Okay, cool. So then what I'm going to look at this week is how we can springboard off that and look at what we can do with all this lovely freedom, all this big life of freedom. I think Romans 8 has a lot to speak into this. It's a chunky one, so I'm just going to kick off with one to four. Um, Maybe that'll come up, yeah. who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, he absolutely blows us away at the start, saying there is no condemnation. What that means is absolutely pivotal for our resilience. What we so often do when we're thinking about God is confuse conviction for condemnation, whereas I think that actually the total opposite of each other. In this context condemnation means you're punished for your actions to death and so often we think I've done something wrong that was a step too far game over i'm condemned whereas we know from the verse we know from verse 2 that he set us free from that law of sin and death whereas on the other hand conviction this is the good stuff is how god uses us it's the nudging of his spirit towards what is good and holy and pure It's how God brings us into freedom and leads us to trust him with the best way to live, rather than follow our own desires. Okay, so I know a bit of a classic, I'm going to have a little sip of water, a bit of a classic cliche metaphor is the old um, parent-children metaphor, but I've just become a dad, so you'll forgive me. So every night we give little Monty, little baby Monty a bath, and every now and then he decides to wee in the bath, And he just generally lies there and then bobs around in his own produce for a bit. Now, if I were to condemn him, I would turn my back on him and say, that's absolutely horrible. You're out the door, mate. Whereas conviction is me telling him that weeing in the bath is maybe not the best thing to do. As it might feel nice for a split second of release, but for plenty of obvious reasons, it's just a terrible idea. Now, admittedly, at the, the moment, that conversation sounds a bit like, Oh, Monty boy, don't even the bar. Have you no very good idea? To which he replies something along the lines of, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> You know, so it's not, it's not that advanced. The conviction isn't that advanced at this stage. However, as time progresses, he will learn for himself that bathing in we is not the best thing for him. Not because I'll stop loving him, but because there's more to life. And so... I think we all agree with that. And so conviction leads to action. Now, in verse 5, we see this conviction. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Wing in the bath. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Now, what Jesus has done allows us to live in accordance with the Spirit. That's what he does for us. He calls us by his spirit to a better place, to a cleaner bath, because he knows what's best for us. Now, we all know the feeling of when we've done a big proverbial wee in the bath and we're just lying in it and skulking around in it and feeling horribly shameful. But this is the good news of it. Jesus doesn't condemn us. And I think lots of people might condemn us, but Jesus doesn't condemn us. He pulls us out and he gives us another go And he convicts us to a better way of living because he knows what's the best for us. So then the question is, from this place of total freedom, what does that mean our response should be? God is so good and gracious that he's actually trusted us with a responsibility, both personally and corporately as a church. And I think a lot of this, as it speaks about in Romans 8, is how we choose to engage with suffering. Later on, it says in verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he knows that we have present sufferings. And this is the real crux of it. In our earthly bodies, we will decay. We will be constantly tempted. Suffering will happen. Now, I think we often see this suffering as something that we don't choose ourselves. So, you know, what we normally associate with suffering whether that be illness losing a friend losing a job you know all this past year in COVID the list goes on and on and on and these things are tough however I think actually he's also talking a bit here about voluntary suffering the suffering that is in our control and we choose in order to look more like Jesus in 1 Peter 4 1 this is pretty rad do you want to Pop it up there. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with that same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Mind-blowing, right? He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, very often, we'd far rather give in to temptation because it feels nice in the moment. But even though what Jesus calls us to isn't always the easy option, it is Always the best option and his life was full of moments where he chose the uncomfortable route verse 23 says we groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies now this this groaning sounds quite sort of poetic and pious and holy doesn't it but actually I think sometimes it can just sound like oh Jesus I really really want to do that thing and it looks so good and Everyone else is doing it, I think I could probably just get away with it. Please, you know, it's that real like, heart yearning against our sort of broken selves. And I feel like the conversation, I don't know if anyone else agrees, like has this as well, but the conversation I have in my head is quite often like I'm a sort of stroppy child. You know, it, I work as a filmmaker, and a job will come up with some like big, obvious red flags, steer clear, but then it's like, I don't know, maybe it's got a big budget, and I'm like, oh, but Jesus, maybe I could just take that job and just not tell anyone about it and just do it. You know, get the, get the nice budget and, and crack on. Or, I don't know, Viv sidles up to you at the end of church and says, "Be just wondering if you'd mind preaching about Romans 8? <laughs> and your mind is just going, oh, no, that's the last thing that I want to do. That sounds absolutely terrifying. But then you feel that nudge of the Spirit and the Spirit goes, maybe... And then you say, yes, and here we are. (laughs) But the truth is twofold. Firstly, even if it isn't the easiest thing, Jesus always has the best for us. But the second thing is he's always kind enough to let us choose for ourselves what we end up doing. In verse 26, he says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So, as the church, how can we look different, knowing the hope that is set before us? Because we will suffer. I'm sorry if that's news for you. We will suffer, and even even more so. I'm afraid sometimes we actually have to choose earthly, countercultural suffering, not because we have to earn our salvation with Jesus, but in the faith that he actually has a greater plan and purpose for our redemption than our vices or those things that make us feel good, whether that be popularity, fame, or lust, or alcohol, or gossip, or whatever it might be. But we live in that tension, don't we? That our current earthy state, we will go through suffering, but it's not a speck on the glory that will be revealed in us, as it says. And that is the hope that we have and we wait for. So then are we just engaging in suffering this sort of road, less traveled approach for our own personal gains to have a nice looking life with Jesus? Or does Jesus actually give us a responsibility for others as well? Now, as I mentioned, I make films for a living and every now and then I, I shoot a mm-hmm. wedding film. And I had, a, I had one a couple of years ago, pre-COVID times. And basically it was, it was a biggie, 250 people, Smart sort of wedding. All the men in sort of tailcoats and women had sort of big blancmange things on their heads. And, you know, I knew that I just had to nail it, basically. Um, I was suited up, looking smart. Morning went great. Got everything I needed. Bride arrived at the church, absolutely perfect. Got down the aisle, bish, bash, bosh. End of the service, just needed the money shot. You know, the two of them kissing at the end of the service. So I just like creeped down the aisle as I normally do in most of the weddings I shoot, just to get that like money square shot. Crouch down, I think you know what's coming, split my suit right from the back there all the way up to the top, loudest rip you could possibly imagine. Obviously wearing sort of flamingo boxes at the time, so revealed those to everyone as well. So for the rest of the day, the videographer was wandering around with the best part of his bum on show with no way of hiding it. And I had to, I genuinely had to adopt a strange sort of waddle, upright waddle with my camera in hand just to make sure no one would see it. But I know know that people could see it. You could hear the whispers starting and children crying in the distance, that sort of thing. But all day, no one came to say anything to me. No one came to, like, offer me help. I know, I know, Thanks. (laughs) Avoidance seemed to be the best policy, and I honestly felt like a complete outsider for the entirety of the day. Romans 37-39 says, absolute belter, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so this is a brilliant truth for ourselves. But even more so, we need to learn that this is the truth and grace by which Jesus sees others. The fact is, we all have a rip down our trousers, all of us. We're all waddling around to hide the embarrassing, broken parts of ourselves. So we may have started to learn a little bit over the last few weeks about how God sees us. But the reality is, if God works from our weakness, loves us in our brokenness, it's also how he sees others. Here's the truth. God is never shocked. In this this chapter, it says trouble, hardship, nakedness, sword, life, death, angels, demons, present, future, any powers, height, depth, anything else. Nothing makes God recoil. Nothing makes him awkward or squirm or ashamed. So I think the real challenge in, in all of this is we mustn't either. As a church, we need to be totally unshockable. Because what happens when we're shocked? We gasp, don't we? We step back. We cover our eyes. We avoid people. We shelter ourselves. We grimace. We judge It separates us from others. Now I'm finding this more and more at the moment. I don't know if you are too. It feels like society is so incredibly disparate and unforgiving. Whatever it says in your social media bio turns out to be your whole identity. And we can no longer associate with people who aren't exactly like us. Jesus longs for us to look different to this. Because we all have so much more in common than we don't. (laughs) And as a church, we have to be at the forefront of showing this, don't we? So whatever offends you, or you disagree with, or shocks you, or you'd rather avoid, all of that is covered in this section of the chapter. What does Jesus do? He leans in. He sees someone's character, not their sin. Now I'm afraid it doesn't help people or point them towards Jesus if we just separate ourselves from those who are different or struggling or disassociate ourselves from people because we don't agree with them or we think they're getting stuff wrong. It's in those smallest moments where we choose kindness or patience and stopping, I think that's where we learn God's heart. How often is it that the sin we rebuke in someone else is actually one that probably secretly we're guilty of ourselves? Now, I'm sure on that wedding day, other people had all sorts of wardrobe malfunctions. But they didn't come and empathize with me. We didn't share in any sort of joint calamity. He's given you permission to have a crack, but not just at living a fulfilled, righteous life for yourself, skipping through the daisy fields, but to step into people and be totally resilient and unshockable in the darkest places where others would avoid. Because I think that is where Jesus would be. If Jesus has grace for us, then we must have grace for others, and that's how the kingdom of God will reign. That's how we can be resilient disciples. So as I just come in to close, you guys can come back up if you want. Not if you want, I would love you to. That would be <laughs> lovely. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think loves go back to that sheep video. Which of the people do you think you associate most with in that video? Are you the sheep? You feel as if you go up and down in your resilience and your walk with God. All is going well, and then you crash down again. For you, we would (laughs) pray... There you go, that is perfectly timed. For you, we would pray that you know Jesus says he loves you as much in the ditch as he does when you're out. And even more so, in fact, being in the ditch is what qualifies you to be so lovable. Or maybe you feel like you're the person helping the sheep out. You keep supporting someone or praying for someone and it seems like it's one step forward and two steps back and you feel like you're running low on faith. For you, we just pray that God will give you the resilience that Jesus had with us. He will increase your faith That those tiny moments where, where you choose to step in, where you choose to be kind and patient. They would bring kingdom freedom way beyond what you know is going on. Or actually maybe you're the third person, I don't actually think there was the third person, but let's pretend there was, Walk, you're walking past, trying to ignore that anything is happening at all, trying to ignore the mess, pretending that we're all fine and it's someone else's problem, not sure you agree with what's going on totally and you don't necessarily like the look of it, so you're just going to keep yourself to yourself. Or actually you just find it really hard to associate to people that shock you, and definitely in that camp way more than I'd like to admit for us I pray that God would instill a spirit of compassion we'd know that that Romans 8 truth is as much for others as it is for us would we be able to see people as God sees them and also we ask God a scary prayer to prompt us to prompt us in those little moments where we know we could turn our back or we could lean in so I'm just going to just going to pray, um, you guys can start twiddling or, you know, um, that God would just stir us, that he would, he would reveal to us, he would reveal to us which one of those three we are. Father, we know that you are so good. And step by step, we're learning that there is nothing we can do to earn your salvation. Father, teach us what your freedom looks like. Teach us to trust you that leaning into you and the plans and the promises that you have for us are so much better than the short-term things that we get tempted by. And Father, make us unshockable. Make us resilient. Holy Spirit fill us fill us full with with the knowledge that there are people all around that are crying out to know you Father we ask that you just be prompting us even this week give us that nudge Holy Spirit So guys, why don't we stand? And as we start to worship, I just yeah, just just speak to God. let him highlight those things in your heart. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.